Hello, welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. Have you wondered what the hell do PhD students do in university? Well, you've come to the right show. We are here to bring Western's research to you guys. My name is Navneet and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Yiman Chen. How do you have? Not so bad. The weather's turning out better. Oh yeah. I mean, your question is something I ask myself every day. What the uh HEW hockey sticks am I doing <laughs> here at this university? <laughs> right. But well, it's not about me or us mm-hmm. today. True, because we have a very interesting guest t- today with us, Jillian Carabre. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. No worries. It's a great pleasure to have you here. So, just from an earlier chat that we're having before we start recording the show, what I understand is that your research on rave culture is just, it has such a rich history. It seems to go all over the place. And honestly, I'm not sure what are you even, where to even start about this. So, why don't you take the lead and tell us a little about yourself and how you got into all this research. Sure, sure. Um, so, I guess this is sort of a very long story. I'll try to make it brief. I uh, come from a very musical family. Uh, I grew up playing the violin. My brother's a cellist. My mom's a pianist. My dad's a composer. So um, we're always involved with music and um, concerts and things like that, but more on the classical end of things, uh, not so much on the popular music side of things, which is where I ended up. So uh, I sort of, I, I'm doing an autoethnography. So I, I sort of wanted to connect this to, to uh, a film that sort of, explains what my life has been like involving classical and, and all sorts of different genres. Um, I don't know if you've seen High Fidelity, which is came out in 2000, just 2000 actually. Uh, it's a film with John Cusack. Um, and a very young Jack Black. Yes, that's right. Great. <laughs> and um, and so my my whole life, I've always been fascinated with mixtapes. I uh, Well, tapes being sort of a free term now because it's not really tapes. Um but I, I always made mixtapes for all my friends. I made mixtapes for myself. I made mixtapes for strangers, people, um, you know, basically anyone I could possibly guess music for and, and sort of fit something together and give it to them. I, I love to do that. And, um, and this film is particularly interesting for me because they do a lot of top five albums, top five songs, um, sort of listing all your favorite things. And then in one scene, John Cusack says that he... Uh, he's the person comes into his house and there's vinyl everywhere and they're, they're you know they're trying to figure out how he categorizes all of it and so he says um, well, you know they're like oh no it's not it's not uh, it's not chronologically right it's not alphabetically so what is it and he said it's autobiographically which I think Ooh. yes mm. so I think it's so interesting and and I and so um, you know, while I've never been attached to hard copies of anything, uh, I don't ha- so I don't have a physical collection of music I've loved, um, especially rave music. I think I've I've been doing this with music my entire life, um, as do perhaps many of us when you think about it. So, um, I won't get into the various genres I have followed, but um, how I got to this point researching rave culture, um, it sort of unveiled itself as a career path over time. Um, when I was first leaving home in 2007, I went to Calgary, did a performance degree there, and that's when I first went to my first rave. 2008, uh, one of my girlfriends was from um, Germany, and she discovered David Guetta over there. Um, and he had come 
actually to Calgary in 2008, like February. And um, one of the first tracks that I ever loved of rave culture was uh, was his Love Don't Let Me Go, which is versus the egg. I don't know what versus means. I think it just means two DJs together. Um, there's this video of um, a bunch of dancers in Europe doing parkour moves. And it's like from 2002. So it was before parkour was popular. And so I thought that was pretty sweet. Um, <laughs> and then after that, I loved... Um, rave culture, but I didn't really, I wasn't really involved with it. So I went to Montreal, uh, did my performance degree there, my undergrad at McGill, and I loved music there. I loved a lot of Euro music. I went to Europe for a time and um, became um, friends with a girl over there who's from Vienna, and so I spent some time in Italy and Vienna, and um, there's a lot of Euro rave music down there. Always, It's always been around, uh, so that's slightly different than what was over here. And then um, after that, I went to Ottawa, and that's when things kind of got interesting for me. I was doing my master's there, and I was also working in a bar, uh, Pier 21, and also the cabin later on. Um, and I played electric violin with DJs uh, on Wednesday and Friday nights. Started out just on Wednesdays, and then I um, ended up doing Fridays as well because people seemed to like it. And I would just... Um, improv over electronic tracks, um, work with DJs, and the, the DJ made all the difference for me. And so as I was learning what DJs do, I, um, I, I ended up writing a paper about it in, um, in one of my master's classes. And the, the prof actually took me aside and said, um, you know, I know you're in performance, but uh, this is really interesting. Uh, it was on DJ musicianship. And, and he thought that it would be a really good idea if I pursued a doctoral dissertation on something of that nature. Um, so after that, I hadn't really thought that I could um, turn my turn my passion for for this music into into a career. But um, I applied at Western for uh, for DJ musicianship as actually I put an abstract together of that exact paper. Um, and and uh, that's not what I'm researching now. But uh, but that's what I got in on the premise of. So uh, it's uh, sort of came became this you know transition from being a performance person into into using my knowledge of performance and and then transferring it into this synthetic soundscape that uh, people are really um, well it's very misrepresented but also misunderstood so um, I think my goal here is to try and use my own experience as a musician to uh, to to bring to light all of the the interesting music mu musical things that are happening uh, in rave culture and, and the, the social, the interesting social things that are happening as well. So, um, that's sort of how I got to where I am now <laughs> in, in so many words. Um, so that was, that was, that was a, a, a lot, lot of, of things. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and I'm just backtracking. Yeah, so, sure. Um, just for, just for our listeners, just for our audience over here, could you tell us like, what is rave culture? What is rave and where did it start from? Uh, just could you just give us a history of this? Right. So rave culture, um, as youth might uh, think of it now, uh, it, it was many things over time, um, and and I suppose you know uh, the earliest I know of that it was uh, becoming something concrete was after Stonewall, uh, the Stonewall riots, uh, which were in, in New York and um, had to do with. Um, uh, the gay community there, uh, and and the cops uh, sort of made it difficult for them to have a safe space where they could convene and um, 
you know, socialize with one another in public places. So they created this environment where um, people like David Mancuso held loft parties, which were private invite only. And that's where some of the, you know, the first so-called DJs performed. And, they, you know, um, you'd put records on beside each other and they would have to stop and then put a new record on but continuous mixing became a thing at that time where they would you know extend um, some kind of um, a track they'd have two of the same track and they'd extend it or they'd mix it together and and so mixing sort of started happening at that time Um, disco uh, came out of that movement and um, uh, it had a lot of camp and a lot of um, um, there was some commercialization at the time based on Saturday Night Fever and the Bee Gees. Um, and, and while I don't consider that music to necessarily be the most authentic um, disco music of the time, um, it, it certainly was part of, of that um, period of time. And, uh, and so it, it also received a lot of blowback from uh, people on radio stations who were sort of perhaps homophobic um, and really uncomfortable with um, what disco was putting forward into the world. Um, and, and musically speaking, I think they thought it was cheesy, kind of like you might think pop music, some pop music is now, um, you know, not really worth listening to. Um, so, you know, that that sort of has been always an issue for rave music. Generally, a lot of people feel that it's not listening music. Um, I'll get to that, I suppose. So after that, um, there was um, there was a huge disco sex movement that ended in burning of vinyl um, on a baseball diamond, uh, and 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 after that, it sort of took a turn down when um, it became moved sort of to Chicago, also to um, Paradise Garage, which was, I believe, in New Jersey. Um, and uh, and as well then over to Detroit. So the, the, the sort of branched out a little bit. These were still, the majority of them were still gay communities um, that continued on after the commercial movement. So um, Frankie Knuckles was in Chicago. He created Chicago House. Uh, Detroit Techno was three guys who listened to Kraftwerk a lot. Um, they're this sort of automatic sounding group from Europe. Um, and they turned that into the so-called listening version of Rave, um, what you would consider like progressive rock or something now um and then uh you know paradise garage was was um was garage music which is another type of music that sort of or 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 origined origined from that um area and then after that uh this mixtape speaking of mixtapes um that um frankie um knuckles put together of some things that uh, had been created using 808 drum kits this is when People were starting to write their own music, um, and it was strictly instrumental uh, with, like, maybe one or two words involved. This is a very um, new sound at the time. And it took this, uh, took it over to uh, Chicago House, and Detroit Techno went over to UK and blew up there. And there was uh, the Thatcher um, movement. Uh, they created this ban where you couldn't gather in more than groups of more than a certain amount of people, and you couldn't play uh, so-called um um, continuous beats, like uh, repetitive beats, that was in the band. Actually, you couldn't play that in public. Um, so that is just an, an example of how you know the media has been a little bit uncomfortable with it. Um, and uh, and then after that, it came back to New York, and uh, then after that, it came to Canada. I mean, I'm sort of glossing over a whole bunch of things, but um, generally speaking, it's been around forever. <laughs> and uh, and what I'm studying is is strictly the the local manifestation of this this international this huge international scene that's uh, that's now existing 
So that's pretty crazy. You're saying that rave music essentially evolved from disco? Yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. That is what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeez. And we thought we were really rebellious in high school, <laughs> being all into rave music and techno and stuff. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying you, you're studying the local manifestation of rave. What does that mean? Well, that means um, that, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable commenting necessarily on scenes that exist outside of where I'm living. Right. Um, so so I, while I've read a whole lot of um, interesting papers on on other parts of the world like Sydney and um, Los Angeles and um, anywhere in Britain Manchester and places like that Ibiza um, those are places I can't personally comment on and so you know I I would be doing sort of uh, not original research uh, if I were to comment on those things so so what I've been focusing on is is figuring out you know what is going on here uh, in in the GTA and in London, which I consider to be sort of a conglomerate scene. Um, and, and I'm trying to sort of parse out, you know, what's unique about what's going on here as opposed to other parts of the world. Okay. Is this where the autoethnography part of research comes in? Is that like um, a research technique method you're using? It is. Um, so autoethnography is using personal experience. It's basically doing participant observation where you're um, involved in the culture as a as a as a factor, and um, in in the past, people would go in and use participant observation to help learn parts of the culture. So, um, participant observation is is when you become part of the culture and you involve yourself personally. You're not observing as much. You're you're actually participating in things. And um, to take it a step further, people who do autoethnography um, involve their own personal thoughts and experiences as factors, um, and they don't exclude themselves from the process. A lot of uh, research um, sort of tries to remain objective, but in this case, when you're doing research in a culture, it's sort of it, it's pretty much impossible to exclude yourself as a factor in the scene. Um, when you're talking to people and you're becoming, you have to kind of be there for several years in order to gain a foothold. And so it's it's pretty much impossible to say that you weren't involved in that and that it's, you know, it exists without you. Um, so that's, so I, I take a more intimate perspective than, than some, than some people would. So would, it, would it be fair to say that you're sort of observing yourself, observing other people while interacting with them in, in their communities? Yes, that's, that's. Sounds right. <laughs> looking at yourself, looking at other people and, and stuff. Okay. It's a mirror. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's very reflective. It's self-reflexive. Right. Um, and, and um, I, you know, I write footnotes. I write footnotes. That's not what I meant at all. See, this is a D- PhD person talking. I write, <laughs> I write field notes. <laughs> footnotes, not so much. Um, um, but yes, I write, I write field notes and, um, and I do take audiovisual um, recordings, um, but, but, you know, they're not particularly good they're sort of mm-hmm. amateur um so so the next process would be for me to 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 make better recordings and stuff but is this all while you're participating like in a rave at the time like how do you sort of dance and be into that while still taking field notes and and trying to sneak a picture or two once in a while 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I sort of write my field notes later. I okay. use, I, I try to do it. Uh, lots of people do it right after, um, and they or they might jot notes at the time. And some people just completely forget about that and just try and enjoy the moment, and then then think back on it after. It's 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 hard to sometimes recall certain things uh, after the fact, but um, uh, so you know, it's, it's a fine line between those two things. But um, often I'll use video during the concert. Um, which which is just on my phone, which thankfully iPhones are you know high quality, um, and and then after that I, I write field notes um, after the experience, probably the, the morning after usually. Hmm. So you've been to these rave concerts mm-hmm. around the GTA. Yeah, I would say I've been to about well at this point after four years I think probably two hundred fest- festivals and concerts combined. Um, uh, so, so several, I, I would go out a lot. Um, maybe that makes me sound a little <laughs> bad. It's all for research though. It is. Right? It's yeah. for research. I actually was funded to go to Veld Festival, which is in, uh, Toronto. So that's, um, that's something interesting, I suppose. It makes it more legitimate, I suppose. So for, uh, those listeners who might've been maybe too young to be in the scene when it was really hot at the time of the nineties, or for those of us who weren't cool enough to be part of the scene in the nineties, can you give a, um, give us an idea of what is it like to be part of a rave? Like, what does it feel like? What sort of things do you hear and see? Mm. What, um, you know, if you could paint like a word picture, what would it be? Okay. So, oh, that's a lovely way to describe it. Um, a word picture. I, <laughs> um, okay, so for me, it's always been a very spiritual experience. That's actually, uh, several people uh, have written about how rave is, is a religious sort of spiritual experience, mostly because you're all staring at a DJ mm-hmm. who's sort of, you know, conducting this, you know, ceremony of sorts, and everyone's just, you know, losing their minds. Um, cool. So, uh, I mean, I suppose I suppose losing your minds isn't always the way that it is, but I mean, the, the times that I've, that have been pivotal for me, uh, it's because of the, the way that the, the, the volume uh, of of the concert it sort of reverberates inside your inside your body, and uh, there's also been the connection that 120 BPM uh, is the double the human resting heart rate, and so uh, so it sort of connects uh, with our bodies on a, on a more um, primal level. Um, so it's a it's a bodily like a you know a physical experience. And, uh, and in, in addition to that, um, I find that the, there's camaraderie, um, you know, people you don't know. You, you, there's always positivity in the air at these, at these events. There's not a lot of drinking that goes on, if I'm being honest. Um, and so I, I find that the people aren't as, as, um, uh, as interested in, in getting into fights as, as maybe you would at like a rock concert or something. Okay. Um, <laughs> not to, you know pigeonhole rock concerts either but um you know i I think that that there's certainly a lot more love in the air uh, at these kind of events it's very happy uh, uh, you know feeling of being surrounded by people who love music and and you know love each other even though you're strangers um and and, you know so and as well as this you know enveloping sense of um music inside your body so i that for me plus the visuals there's a lot of visuals that are happening right now pk sound systems are um this community of um um visuals that um basically get hired every time there's a show uh, festival and it's like a, a huge rigmarole with you know lots of different um com- computer visual things i don't know how to explain it it's like watching a movie at the same time plus lasers um 
And so it's it's just an overall experience. It's it's an all senses experience. Wow. So, in one in any of these concerts, what are the Canadian touches that you observe? Um, I would say for me the most interesting thing is the flow arts community, uh, which are people who do things like hula hooping and gloving. It's like mm. uh, LEDs in the tips of gloves. Um, yeah. Cool and uh, poi, and they put LEDs in in these things that you might use regularly for other things, and um, and they you, they make them into an art form that that goes along with the music. So it's a performance within a performance, um, and and for me that has that's actually the in Canada it's very common, but in the states they've put a ban on it uh, as well mm. because uh, it's associated with drug culture, right. um, and so they they like to avoid that uh, especially in the commercial things in, in the states so there's a lot less of it happening down there even though it was sort of invented gloving was invented in LA um, and so you know uh, in Canada I find that there's a lot of this really creative community happening um, and you know and there's as well as um, this whole plur idea that that I which is peace, love, unity, and respect. It's one of the philosophies of rave culture. And I find that because Toronto uh, and surrounding area are so multicultural, um, we have a, a lot more diverse community uh, than than perhaps the States or the U.S. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, or um, the U.K. So, you know, that's sort of my perspective right now um, regarding regarding uh, Canadian touches. Oh, that sounds fascinating. And... Speaking of other local Canadian touches, I hear you're also part of Radio Western and you have your own show here. I do. I do actually have a show um, later on tonight. <laughs> um, uh, it's called Elect Tribe, and uh, I've, I've been doing it for two years now. And it uh, features Canadian artists um, who are of the electronic community, DJs, producers, um, singer-songwriters, all those kinds of people. I try to, to focus on, mostly on Canadian artists who are underground uh, in, especially in Toronto and um, um, the area that's closest to us. Yeah. And how did you get into that? Is this part of your research as well? Um, I made it part of my research, I guess. It was just another way to get involved, participant observation-wise, um, and, and you know, as well as a passion. And I've always wanted to be involved in radio. Uh, so actually, my dad was uh, part of CBC for a while. He hosted the signal briefly uh, oh that is so cool yeah at its onset uh, with laurie brown so he was the weekend guy for a little while and so i've always loved radio <laughs> i i am totally like fanning out, oh. right out. <laughs> i love the signal it's a great show yes mm -hmm. so is that possibly something you might aspire to later in your uh, professional or academic career Certainly. going on to host the signal Certainly. I would take over my dad's shoes um, and Laurie Brown's shoes. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, CBC is really making a lot of changes. And, I, and so, I, you know, anyway, if I, if I could be involved with CBC, that would, that would be amazing. I've always loved, loved it and respected uh, that, the, you know, their, what they do. And so, um, of course, yeah, I mean, any kind of media would be interesting for me. I love talking about music. Um, I love um, giving my two cents, obviously. <laughs> And I love picking music for people, as I mentioned. So it's all in all just a great fit <laughs> for me in my life. So if people were interested in tuning into your show, mm -hmm. when uh, and how could they do that? Well, uh, it's at uh, 8.30 to 10 p.m. on Tuesday nights. Um, you can tune in um, 94.9 uh, Radio Western. Uh, you can also tune in online online. Um, 
at radiowestern.ca-stream. Um, and you can you can also check out my Mixcloud, which is mixcloud.com forward slash E-L-E-K-T-R-I-B-E. Um, so, yeah, that's the places you can find me. <laughs> awesome. We'll have all that information on our website once this podcast comes out. And one last thing you said you wanted to share with us is a playlist that you had put together um, of a sort of mixtape, if you will, of yep. <laughs> uh, music that was significant to you. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, um, as per my reference to High Fidelity, I uh, I really um, have felt like certain music has been important to me over time and, and sort of led me into into the place that I am now. And, uh, and it's so um, autobiographically speaking, I, uh, <laughs> I've put together a, a playlist that reflects, you know, my journey and uh, things that I've found to be a particularly, um, um, you know, poignant uh, in, in my life. <laughs> oh, that was good alliteration, Jill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, you know, it's certainly if you're interested in, in, lear- in learning more about, you know, the music that's inspired me um, through this journey, uh, then, then you can check that out. Um, I'll make a, a playlist and, and pass it along. Awesome. We'll have that on our site as well. Well, that's our time for today. Thank you very much, Jillian Carabre, for uh, coming on and sharing your work and your passion with us. Uh, Gradcast is a production of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. My name is Yimin Chen. I was joined today with by my co-host, Navneet Mohan. And we'd like to give one shout out for Radio Western. The USC United, uh, the University Student Council is coming up with their elections, and this year they have a referendum on Radio Western as well. So I encourage all of our listeners out there to support the 1050 campaign. If you want to find more information about this, go to radiowestern.ca. Radio Western has been a great part of many of our lives, and it would be awesome to see it continue to get funded. Outside of Radio Western, though, if you want to see more or hear more GradCast episodes, you can find our website at gradcast.ca. Or if you'd like to come on the show yourself or join us on the committee and help produce this show, drop us a line at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Thank you very much, and stay ravey funky out there. (laughs) Peace, love, unity, and respect. This theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.